Chiefs 38 and the Eagles 35. Six seconds left in Super Bowl 57 regulation. Hertz takes the snap. The Chiefs only rushing two on a delay. Clock is going to be out of time, and the pass is going to be underthrown. It's incomplete. It's incomplete. Everyone, everyone who claims the Chiefs' kingdom will raise a banner above the National Football League again for the second time in four seasons. The Lombardi Trophy has a red and gold reflection, a big red reflection. The Chiefs are champions of Super Bowl 57. I mean, <laughs> wow. You know what it does. Woo! Go ahead. It's Go ahead with yourself. Tearing stuff like that that makes you realize we have fantastic, competent broadcasters here in the city of Boston. That was uh, rehearsed or unrehearsed? Oh, no. That was as scripted yeah. as it gets there from Mitch Holtis on yeah. the uh, Chiefs Radio Network. And, yeah, I'm not going to bust his balls for the breathing. He's, he's, like, <laughs> Wait, he's in his... Right, Terps making fun of this guy because of, <laughs> struggling. He was uh, playing yeah. the game. Wait, playing here from the beginning. Here is this guy. Go ahead. Play Chiefs thirty-eight and the Eagles thirty-five. Six seconds left in Super Bowl fifty-seven regulation. Hertz takes the snap. The Chiefs only rushing two on a delay. Clock is going to be out of time, and the pass is going to be underthrown. It's incomplete. It's incomplete. Everyone, everyone who claims the Chiefs' kingdom <laughs> will raise a banner above the National Football League again for the second time in four seasons. The Lombardi Trophy <laughs> has a red and gold reflection, a big red reflection. The Chiefs are champions of Super Bowl 57. It so- sounds, that sounds like you're adding that. It does kind of sound like I mean, you've never you've never heard a promo from the great Dusty Rhodes in the '80s, who was 290 pounds, completely heavy, and smoked cigarettes. There were times where Big Dust would be cutting a promo in the '80s and be like, <gasps> like you could, you could hear the emphysema in his voice as he was gathering his wind. So, uh, Mitch Holtis, by the way, almost 66 years old. Terps making fun of this guy. Good job, Terp. Way to go, Terp. Way, nice pickup, actually. Perfect job. It's, I missed it because. I heard it last night a lot, uh-huh. and I was like, wow. I mean, it, it just different mentality. Like, so you know this is going to happen. It's like, you know, Aaron Judge with his uh, home run uh, record that he was chasing right last year. And it was like, okay, are you gonna, are you, do you have something rehearsed? Are you going to say something? Is there anything scripted that you're going to write down? Because you don't want to mess up the call. They all God say forbid, they don't, but they do. God forbid. You're like, and then it's uh, so cool. It's awesome, and it's red and gold, and – People are going to be so happy. And then I can't wait to get to the after party uh, to hear Lionel Richie. I, I, so I, a part of me uh, respects the fact that they took the time to make sure that that sound is, you know, is going to be there forever. Clean. Let me do it over. You mean there isn't a, I got the ball. I got the ball. In the middle of it, they would just uh, ruin a call. Well, but- here's the thing. So, back to the game real quickly, okay? So, no, please. No I interceptions. To- right. No sacks by the Philadelphia Eagles. Not one. Must have that, been the that, officials' fault. Well, <laughs> that defense that had all that record-breaking amount of sacks, they didn't get one sack on Patrick Mahomes. And who there couldn't were, run, right? And, and there were times where Mahomes had two, three, four yeah. seconds in it. Some of the balls that they stretched in that first quarter where they got it to Kelsey over the middle, he had a lot of time. KC yeah. offensive line did a really nice did job. An excellent job. And then so the Chiefs only sacked um, – well, to me, they technically didn't sack him at all, but he scrambled one time and – it was like a one-yard loss after he was scrambling outside the pocket. So technically, but he didn't really get sacked either. Um, and then the biggest plays of the game. So both teams actually played really clean, except Jalen Hurts' fumble. Yeah, well, that, except that, that that's, that's the one of a pretty big mistake. deal. Yeah, because yeah, you he didn't even get the ball going the other way. Well, he didn't get the ball stripped. He just just slipped out of his hands. Right. And then you I ha- think that's a part of like for me and looking at Jalen Hurts because we had one guy on the text three seven ninety three seven who was like, well, the guy went off. He also had a fumble where points went back the other way, and there's something about like he had seventy rush yards. Did he really? Like it didn't feel like 
Jalen Hurts had 70 rushing yards. And when you think about like the impact yards there in terms because Philly didn't run the ball worth the damn. 32 for 115, and 70 of it came from Hurts. But it never felt I don't know. Maybe I guess I would be making a comparison to Lamar Jackson. Like 70 yards looks like a good number, but there was never the one play where I was like, wow. That is an unbelievable run out of this dude. He had a big run. I think it was in the on that one drive. He had a 28-yard run. Yeah, that was, that was a, the that long was a huge one. run. Just right. like Patrick Mahomes had that big run in the fourth quarter to put them in scoring position where you thought after, after Philly had tied it up. So Philly ends up tying it up. They get a two-point conversion, right? And that's how they ended up tying it up. And then sure as heck, uh, Patrick Mahomes has another big run. It is, it is weird because you also had the, the three biggest plays of the game were a uh, punt return, um, not even a strip sack, but a scoop and score for a touchdown. And then, um, yeah, that was it. Some would argue the penalty. Then, oh, the penalty. Right, so so three me, things. The penalty. Sorry, right. I meant the penalty. That, those are the three so, biggest plays in this game. Here's what I want to get to because a lot of people are doing the whole, oh, it's over your head. They didn't make the call in the first quarter. So how could they do it in the fourth quarter? All right. Let's turn to a guy who's played in two Super Bowls <laughs> and how the officiating kind of works and goes in these things. Now, I'm not saying that there is a that, that they're swallowing the whistle in Super Bowls per se. But I do think there was a texter who said uh had a pretty good here, the 774. The penalty calls a no win for the officials. They don't call it. All you hear is how they missed such an obvious call because of the jersey tug. He says they called it, and now it is that they were helping the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. So when it comes to the ebb and flow of officiating, there are many who are screaming, well, the one that they missed with Tony, that one should have got called early. How come the one got called late? So you've been in these moments. Walk us through sort of that ebb and flow and the feel of officiating and how something might happen in the first quarter, but you go and complain about it to the officials, hoping that you get the call later in the game, which to me is what happened with Kansas City. Okay, so, so so my thing with it is like, okay, if you if you kind of get sucked into the, hey, let's play the game as the game is playing, being called, okay. you're screwed. It's going to come back and bite you in the ass. Because they will decide that 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 one I can't let get away for whatever reason. I don't know. Or maybe they see it cleaner. Maybe they have a different angle. And now they go, holy crap, I got to throw it. And I can't play favorites. And I can't get sucked up into this whole I owe this guy and I owe that guy. I just got to call it like I see it. So to me, that's a trap. The reality is it was a hold. Ask Bradbury. He said it was a hold. He knew it was a hold. There was another call on uh, um, um, Juju Smith-Schuster that they didn't call at all. He almost fell down to the ground. It was like mm-hmm. t- completely penalty, but whatever. What are you going to do? I just think it's a trap. It is a trap. But to your point, like it, if it's if it's ha- if this there's a no call, the Chiefs lose their mind. The reality of it is, at that point in time, the game that was a third and eight on the Philadelphia Eagles 15 yard line. They're still kicking a field goal and going up three points. The biggest gripe they can have is like, well, you know, they, they now if they just kick that field goal, they have like over a minute and 45 seconds to try and either tie it or win it. Mm-hmm. That's the obvious gripe. Based on what happened is they have to use up all their timeouts. They, uh, they do an excellent job of uh, controlling the clock, managing the situation. The Chiefs do, and they end up kicking a field goal, and they give you six seconds left to throw a helpless Hail Mary. So I – I, I don't know. I guess I'm just not. It was a it was a flag. Like, have you ever seen a flag on a hail mary pass? No. You know how much how many flags they can throw on 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 an end of game so hail much mary pass, pass interference, holding uh, things uh, like holding, that, right. holding why it's like they, they don't do it. It's the only play that they never do it. Um, those uh, there's been tons of calls like uh, in the end zone where it's a, it's a jump ball situation. There's tons of hand fighting. Sometimes they call it. Sometimes they don't. I don't, I don't know what they see. Well, what do you make about, again, you played in the league. A lot of fans are screaming, it's got to be consistent from beginning to end. Is that reality it in isn't, the NFL? It isn't. It isn't. I don't know. Like, sometimes I sit there and go, man, if they just call it quarter to quarter. Because I think the line keeps moving. I think what they think is acceptable changes. 
and when you least expect it. Interesting. So, hey, listen, I'm holding on to this guy. They ain't calling it. I just pushed this guy in the face, and they didn't call anything. So, to your sure point. Sure as hell, I'm doing it in the fourth quarter. They're like, uh-uh-uh. So, hand-checking in the first half could be viewed very differently in the second half of a game. No. Just in terms of, like, if a, if a defender was maybe getting away with having their hands on you a couple of yards past the initial five-yard contact zone, maybe in the first half it goes away, but in the second half they might tighten it up a little bit. No, those man, no I, I don't, I don't think do – you, do, you do you think the Chiefs, like the refs, go into the locker room and go, guys – we're missing calls. We got to call it. We no. got, we're doing a terrible job. We're missing fouls. They have this. You have this. You guys, they have 30 minutes to, I guess, readjust like what they're doing. They're looking at how they can call a better game also. No, but I think what happens is, is there's the chirping right away. Right away. Guys complain all the time. Whether it's defensive linemen complaining about, hey, watch the hold. Why are you doing that? Because you're frustrated on the third play of the game that the guy's holding you. Or that, yeah, okay, I don't want this guy to hold me all day. Let me let an official know and hope I get a call. Like, to me, there's the human element that people take out of it in officiating. And let's just let's unpack something else, too. One of the biggest no calls in the history of the National Football League was on a passing play late in an NFC championship game. How in the world does that play not still resonate with the overwhelming majority of officials that are out there to where it is the, do I want to be the guy that on an obvious penalty doesn't make the call because I'm late in a game? A la that, you know, Rams-New Orleans game a bunch of years ago. And when you see the jersey tug, see, that's the thing is that I think if it's in the five-yard zone of, say, hand-checking, you can have some ambiguity there. When there's a grab of a jersey and you can see it, if you're an official and someone – so, like, for I think a lot of the listeners, it is, well, that official would say, well, we didn't call it early in the game, so why would I call it now? No, that's not the way the accountability would work with the officials. If there's the jersey tug there and the head of officiating says to – I don't know who called it, the back judge or whatever – hey, you saw the jersey tug, how come you didn't call it? That guy can't explain that away to a senior official who is grading him on what he did for the Super Bowl. I think for us, when you look at officiating, I don't think he's ever been better in the league. That was Roger Goodell. Sped up. No, but seriously, it's the whole... But there's the PTSD of what happened years ago in the NFC Championship game. And again, for a lot of people, it's let it go. But if... Walt Anderson calls up that official and says, dude, there was a jersey tug. What do you? How come you didn't call that? There's no way that guy can explain his way out of it. And, he, and an acceptable answer to a head of officials would not be, well, it's the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl. You wanted me to not make that call? He'd be like, well, guess what? That was your last Super Bowl. Yeah. No, I just it, – it, like, if I you don't pull, like, it, it, I, People want to complain because of the timing. And honestly – Exactly. People they don't like complain. the timing. If it went the other way, it would not be as big a deal. If it if it was if it was Kansas City who got called for the penalty and Philadelphia won, people wouldn't make as big a deal about it. God Almighty! Oh, someone didn't get to touch the ball in the playoffs at the end of the game last year. So what do we do? Let's change all the rules in terms of how we're going to do it at the end of the game because God forbid we're trying to make everything fair and equitable and all that stuff, right? But if Philadelphia won the game, I don't think people would be as hot over it. It's the fact that Kansas City won the game. People don't want Mahomes to end up winning. No, they again. they don't want any flags called. In I disagree. I, I don't. I think, think the winner. Uh, I think the result of the game matters in the way people react to the penalty. No, call. my my point is that I don't think nobody wants. They want it to be a fair fight. They want it to be okay. Uh, we're both playing by the rules. The officiating. They're not being involved, and it's not being decided. Or somebody isn't benefiting from a ticky tack call, or not an a major egregious call. It wasn't because it wasn't like he tackled him. It wasn't like obvious that he was no. in panic mode where he's like, you know, I got to save the play. I'm just going to tackle his ass. And that's why okay. it was a holding, not a P.I. Because somebody said, well, the ball was yep. uncatchable. It doesn't matter yep. on holding. Good point because it's totally different. Half the people don't know the rules. So so to me, I was like, okay, well, again, it was third and eight. There was over a minute. There was like almost like a minute and 54 seconds left of the game. If you pull his jersey, it's a, it's, a fa- it's a flag. I want the call. As a receiver, I want the call. 
damn, especially when I know he's freaking out. He's got one on one. The guy's doing a little whip route, a return so route. Yeah. So he's doing he's the little misdirection. He has him beat, but then he's doing he added the wheel route to it. Yep. Okay, which I don't think he would have gotten to the ball even if he was had a free release with no contact whatsoever. Right. I don't think he would have gotten to it. Doesn't matter. You held, held him. Right. The and hold doesn't it. matter. Everything Ca- stops. Catchability doesn't matter on the hold. If it were a PI, it would be different. And and look, give Kansas City credit. They found the flaw in the Philly defense. It wasn't once, it wasn't twice, but it was three times where they ran like the whip. The was really they got two be- touchdowns on the same play. It be right all return routes. Yes, it looks like I'm. No, it was just a return route. It That's wasn't even. It, was. it wasn't even a return route. The, the two well, touchdowns. Right, it was a. Remember, it was, it was like that motion stop. Sorry, it was right? stop motion. Right, and it was like holy crap, it was wide open. But that's the thing. It was jab step to look like you're running a crosser, yep. and then you're just breaking back out outside. It wasn't genius stuff, but it was stuff that Philly had a a hard time dealing with. And again, the people aren't. I don't think people are saying. The issue was that there wasn't a penalty. I think people's issue is they don't want that called. And that's where I think fans kind of get split a little bit. What if there was – you know what else they don't like? Hands to the face. You know, uh, you know, uh, inadvertent hands to the face mask where it's like, what are we doing? It's an accident. Well, that's the fly. You touch – you graze his face. They don't want that either. They also don't want some ticky-tack holding call. They don't want like a roughing the passer call. They just, I believe, they just don't want anything. The problem with this game, the thing about this game is that you had two really good teams that were pretty much playing flawless football. They're, I mean, they're, for the most part, other than those three plays, right? And, and like Bill said, after he lost to the Miami Dolphins, it usually comes down to a couple plays. It was a punt return that gave him excellent field position coming off a series where the defense held him to three and out, and they were forced to punt it. The, the the Jalen Hurts coughing up the ball with a non-contact fumble where he just slipped out of his hands. And then the, the uh, you know, I guess the, I the, think the holding th- call on third and eight. But I think Philadelphia could have done a better job of managing the game late. One of the things that should have been considered was calling the timeout with 2.03 to go to make Kansas City run the second down play before the two-minute warning. And then if you'd gotten the stop on third down, you would have had a bigger chunk of time. Now, again, it didn't matter because of the penalty and all that stuff. I think the other problem, too, is you can't just let people score anymore. You have to assume that the other team doesn't have Jacoby Myers throwing the ball backwards at the end of a game and that guys understand the moment that they're in. Philadelphia gave up expecting Pacheco to run into the end zone and score. If you're a defense now, you got to push that guy into the end zone. You can't let him you can't let him control it. Like defenders have to go over there and literally if you have to pick the guy up and get him in the end zone because they're not going to run in anymore. Everybody is hip to the game on that. I thought Philly did a, a bad job like if you're going to let it, if you're going to let the guy go in, make sure you get him into the end zone then. Like it be it, that your job becomes almost reverse. Whereas it's not everybody get out of the way and the guy will run in. No, people are too smart for that now. You have to be proactive in almost dragging the guy into the end zone. So does Ime Udoka have to go back to Electric Avenue to try to find somebody to canoodle with here? Uh, Ime is out. And Joe Mazzula is permanently in. Your thoughts, 617-779-7937. Let's go to Brendan in a car on the breaking news of Joe Mazzula being named permanent head coach of the Celtics. Go ahead, Brendan. Hi there. Uh, Harkening back to what you were talking about, his handling of the team, Uh, just something from my own past. I was many, many years ago as a young hockey coach, and I had the pleasure of working a hockey school with Doug Moans and Don McKinney. And the visitor one day was Billy Ray, who at the time was the coach of the world champion Blackhawks. And this young coach in awe said, gee, I wish I knew as much about this game as you do. And he said, listen, kid, there are half the guys in that room know more about hockey than I do. But I know more about people than they do. For instance, oh my God. if this Esposito kid ever finds out that what I've convinced him that he is, which is the feed man for Hull, 
when he finds out what kind of a scorer he himself could be, I'm in deep trouble. Well, Brendan, I Call think this part of the week story time. I think you nailed it if, from this standpoint. God. Especially in the NBA, <laughs> it's about those players. Because otherwise, you have people shutting down on you. See, that's the dangerous part of almost naming anybody your head coach. Because if, God forbid, the head coach ends up uh, taking off the star or usurping him or the star gets it in his head that the coach doesn't like him or whatever it is, it's almost like in the NBA you have to tread very, very lightly. Because unlike hockey, like Brendan mentioned, even the Bruins last year didn't shut down on Bruce Cassidy, even though there were certain guys in that room that didn't love him. In the NBA, they go into full shutdown mode. Oh, I agree. With you. They they it literally have like a like a like a mini tantrum, right? Without like breaking without, things. Or without I'm gonna, sitting I'm gonna in the hold my of the breath. Floor, right? Yeah, I'm gonna hold my breath. I do think I do think this. So whatever they needed to see, they they are convinced that this that it's enough. And I would say. That yeah, um, did Ime Udoka I think lay the groundwork? You know, you know, create the foundation. Yes, I will give him credit for that. Do I think he kind of went through the toughest mm-hmm. stretch, especially last year in the beginning of the year and towards the end? Yeah, I think I do. But I, I would also commend uh, you know Joe Mozula for taking what he built yep. and then improving it. He's improved it so far. Well, and Brad Stevens improved the roster. So uh, the improvement has been consistent with what has happened with the roster. I do think there are times where coaches can get in the way. And at bare minimum, Missoula proved he's not going to get in the way. And I think at best, you have him talking about the locker room and being very aware of the mix in the room. I want to go back to last night with Joe Missoula. Where, again, Celtics get the win 127-109. Blake Griffin's got to play a bunch of minutes. Guys diving on the floor all over the place, right? Joe Mazzulla, after the game, talked about Blake Griffin's role, not on the floor, but off the floor. You know, I've said it a couple of times, and um, I even told Mike when Muscala, when he first got here, was like, cherish this locker room because it's one of the strongest and maybe the most special one you'll be in. And so I think Blake's a huge cornerstone of that just because of the career he's had and where he's at now and the humility he brings to just coming in every single day, whether it's playing with uh, the younger guys or whether it's starting for us. He, His attitude and his uh, focus on what's most important doesn't change. And so, you know, he has the utmost respect of everybody in the locker room and, you know, you know him and Al and, and, uh, and those guys are the cornerstone of that. I think if that were Udoka saying that, Foyer, it might not connect as much as it does with Missoula because he's a first-year guy who is acknowledging the role of a dude who might play, what, five minutes a game in the postseason, maybe? Well, I was going to say, he yeah. may not play at all. He I mean, not, when you, right. Well, what I've seen in the last, like, call it week and a half, especially when all these guys were hurt, was just, just the unbelievable amount of depth. So, so we're talking about guys that have played a lot lately, Peyton Pritchard, uh, Cornette, uh, Blake, um, who else? Um, oh, man, I can't even think about it. But the, no, but they oh, got Muscala, Hauser, Pritchard, Hauser, Muscala, Muscala, yeah. Pritchard, yeah. So those guys, think about it. What are they? Like, so if you're first off the bench is Brogdon, then it's D. White, then it's uh, Grant Williams. That's the first three off the bench. Mm-hmm. These other guys. So now you're 9, 10, 11, 12. Like, geez, like, none of these guys are going to play again in case of emergency. Maybe it's a blowout. Those guys are going to rip their sweatsuits off, but they're not going to play in the postseason. There's not going to be any place for them. In the uh, Twitch chat, twitch.tv slash Boston WEI. Follow WEI on Twitch. B. Hankey says, Missoula has one job. Keep Tatum happy, period, end of story. I don't think it is that cut and dried, but... It ain't far off. I think when it comes down to the pecking order of the players, the number one priority would be make sure Tatum's completely happy and manage everybody else thereafter. You know the beauty of their situation right now? Everything is self-regulated. Meaning Tatum and Brown and oh, Al yeah, Horford yeah, are the guy. Yeah, well, and Marcus. Is, well, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, you know I would what I say he's, about? Marcus he's, might be more important than he, the Jays he, in a way. I would say that if, if anyone gets up on a soapbox – like it's going to be him, right? And he will be there first. So yeah, that's the beauty of this situation. Like the and I mean the the cliche, it build the culture, all that stuff is is played out sometimes, but it's a cliche because it's true. 
the culture that they have created is self-regulated, and that is the peak of performance. Well, listen, when the coach just kind of has to pick and choose when he kind of jabs and does this and challenge them this way or have a real man-to-man talk, yep. most of the time these guys are doing it on their own. They all want the same thing, and they all know what it takes. That's why a guy like Blake Griffin can come in here and not bitch. That's why Brogdon can be convinced, hey, we're going to pay you a lot of money. You can be the sixth, the first guy off the bench. And, oh, by the way, you're going to win a championship, but you're still going to be obnoxiously productive and reliable and important to this team. Like, you're just been, as important. He's been so great, Brogdon has. Yeah. Because Brogdon could have come in here – and sort of stirred it up a little bit if he wanted to. His attitude has been fantastic. And that is a part of the maintenance that happens when you're the head coach, I think. Isn't it the same? I tell you what, it's it's not a coincidence that teams that have this type of structure and faith and uh, respect. How about mm-hmm. respect, right? I'm respecting your role. You're respecting my role. I'm not going to big time you and like look down on you, okay? Because I feel like we're all in this together. Every team that wins a championship always has that DNA in them. Like yep. all of I've never seen a dysfunctional, highly dysfunctional team win a championship. You know what? It's it's funny you say that because you really have to dig deep to find the team that overcame themselves. I know that it's funny. I've done this exercise before. I know there are a couple that are out there. Of the whole, you know, it's not as much like the old baseball, 25 guys, 25 cabs. But there have definitely been some – I've got to go back I tell and what, look. You're gonna, it's it's going to be hard. No, it because is. It, it, it's I very even rare. Say, even like if you go, hey, the Detroit Pistons, they were just jerks. No, but they were all jerks and they all kind of, hey, listen, we're going to be jerks. We're mm-hmm. going to be bullies, right? You can go to – I mean, I'm not even going to include the Lakers in that year. They won in the COVID year. But I can't think of a team in any sport – where there wasn't this unified collective love and appreciation. It sounds a little weird, okay? Love. Hey, you're using the word love in sports. Yeah, yeah. You got to use love and appreciation, and it has to be um, universally agreed upon or understood. Why is Blake Griffin thriving in this opportunity? He's thriving in it. Everybody respects him. He was the first pick in the draft. He's not some chump that never achieved anything. Mm-hmm. And he is wholeheartedly committed to the to the overall process and goal that the team had already established before he got there. It's amazing. He just kind of infiltrated the unit and, like, there's nothing changed. It just got better. So, I would say even when he's not playing, he's doing what most guys would probably have a hard time doing, which is cheering for the other guys. And not holding a grudge. We've got our big announcement uh, coming up in a couple of minutes, but let's get to John and Newton with Gresh and Fourier. Hello, John. Hello, John. Okay. Hello, um, John. Hello, okay. John is he's more worried about his comment says trading Udoka for Simmons. Yeah. No thank no, you. No, well, I'm Udoka, glad he didn't talk. Udoka look, I think they gave Ime Udoka the opportunity to try to go. And then when it sort of fell through with the Nets, that was it. That would have been the only time to trade him. And look, you're not trading a coach for a player. You and and for Ben Simmons, that's stupid. Sorry, John. Anything but in- that is stupid to go bring to go bring in, arguably now the worst contract in the NBA, and the worst player in the NBA. Yeah, no, so silly, so so it- silly. Uh, all right, we'll roll the dice here because right. uh, Sorja, yeah, we'll Sorja roll the dice. Here we go. Here's Sorja and Mansfield with Gresham Fourier. What's going on, guys? How What's we up? doing? Good. Man. So, just a real quick, quick side note. All I'm going to say is, is never put your Tesla in the valet mode. But here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. All right, Blake Griffin just shows you the Boston difference. This is what I'm saying. This is what I've been saying since 1997, my guy. Bro, everything good in this world has come from this city. All right? So, like, Kansas City, when Mahomes wins the Super Bowl, it's a bloop in the radar, dude. Oh, like, it doesn't matter. All it's- right, all right. We gave that Sorja is. He's been saying it since 97 that everything good from the he world has, comes from this. That's what he just said. He, from ni- he you know just said from guy, 97. You know you know I think Sorge he was is? born in 97. Yeah, I think he was born in like maybe 92. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> no, but uh, I know Sorge would be over the moon. But look, if the locker room isn't right, you're not going to be able to bring in veterans like Blake Griffin and like Malcolm Brogdon and other veterans. You know, Danilo Gallinari eventually will be on this roster yeah, what at do you some think point. He's thinking about how, how do I fit into this rotation? You know what? Maybe I don't. Get right. That's the big thing for him. Get right, get healthy, and get to the point to where they can at least consider you a factor. And then you got to trust that Joe Missoula and maybe more importantly, Brad Stevens are going to have a, a hand in making sure that Gallinari gets his playing time. All right. So, yeah. Big announcement. Wait is over. Here we go. Christian, ladies and gentlemen, Christian Fourier has been working behind the yes. scenes to be able to bring you. One of the best events full of honkies you're ever going to find. Yeah. Okay. So, obviously, uh, if you you know, you remember I do the 25-hour crusade for a cure, which is to help, uh, you know, bring awareness and, and to help uh, finance a cure for type 1 diabetes. So, um, with the inspiration of the catch-off that I, uh, that I won against Wiggy in November, I was inspired to kind of create a similar event. But I wanted to involve as many people as possible. Uh, I want to inv- involve like just not just Wiggy, but like, everybody from different day parts, and have them do something that was kind of mm. you know they, they think that everyone could do. You're right? gonna reunite the world. Yes. So, um, just you know what, yeah, I'll leave it up. Uh, here is the uh, the big announcement. Coming Tuesday, March seventh, live from the Hourback Center in Brighton, the official practice facility of the Boston Celtics. It's Christian Fourier's Shots for a Cure, raising money for the American Diabetes Association. One minute on the floor for each contestant to hit as many shots as they can. Starring the host, the lead crusader. Not elite, but, you know, but good. The man already <laughs> 1-0 in wacky athletic station showdowns. Except he took a ball to the eye and everyone thought he lost. Ah! Christian Fourier. Also starring, over 40 years old and still a proud wrestling fan. It's still real to me, damn it! <laughs> and yet somehow yesterday had a hairdresser appointment. Our own round mound of sound, Andy Gresh. Representing the Greg Hill Show. Do you know who I am? If you don't know how important he is, just ask him. I'm kind of a big deal. Mr. Marconi, the oh, 2022 Jesus. Major Market Personality <laughs> of the Year. Greg Hill. Also representing the Greg Hill Show, our own personal cheerleader. She scored at Boston College. A bunch of people with their pants off. But can she score with a basketball? Courtney Cox. Representing Jones and Mego with Arcan. She was a D1 lacrosse player. But does that really even mean anything? She can talk a good game. I don't know how else to talk about it. <laughs> but can she actually play it? Now I let you know! Megan Audelini. And finally, representing the Rich Keefe Show, Hobart's finest and probably the only athlete of any kind from that institution you've ever heard of. Yeah, they're so far up their own butts. Rich Keefe. All these fine contestants, plus a sharpshooter or two to be named later. It's Christian Fourier's Shots for a Cure. All right, that's it. So on March 7th, all those people and maybe a couple of special guests that may show up, uh, a couple of former Celtics maybe, uh, we will all be trying to uh, earn $25,000. So that's, that, is, that is the number. So thanks to our good friends at West Cork Irish Whiskey. They are putting up $25,000, okay? So uh, we will be doing this right down the street at the Arbeck Center, okay? And, and this is eight, uh, Tuesday, March 7th. Tuesday, March 7th. So, so I'll be landing from Vegas yes, Monday night. hungover. And then ready to fire up some threes. Yes, yes. so there's $25,000 available. But the catch is that we obviously get it. The catch is that we actually have to earn it. So every spot, there'll be a bunch of spots along the court. Each spot will have a dollar amount attached to it. You make that shot, you earn that money. There will be $1,000 prizes, a $5,000 shot, a couple of smaller ones for the guys who probably can't can't shoot too well. So that is the goal. That is the opportunity. 
Um, all this to raise money for the American Diabetes Association. That has been, uh, you know, uh, uh, close to my heart for the past four years since my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was a junior in high school. And look, the fight against diabetes, type 1, type 2, all of it, it's, you know, type 2 is a little more. My dad's got type 2. He's had it for yeah. 30 years or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. We've, they've been really helpful. The funny thing about this is I called up uh, Steve Pagliuca, and I told him that when I had this idea, he immediately said, let's do it, let's work it out. Went over there, got the facility, found the date found the time so we're gonna do this march 7th and it's gonna start at um uh, i think 11 15 oh okay so we have eight shooters so there's the six that we just named and two special guests that were showing up all thanks to west cork uh, irish whiskey uh west cork irish whiskey is the most authentic craft spirit that is 100 irish owned owned to produce using only local irish grains and spring water the distillery was founded by three childhood friends who grew up in the cultural homeland of Irish whiskey production and the men who share their passion for preserving the deep tradition of whiskey making that benefits the entire community. West Cork Irish Whiskey is the official sponsor of Shots for a Cure. Whether you're gearing up for St. Patrick's Day or simply sharing a pint and a shot with your friends, look no further than West Cork Irish Whiskey. You have a bottle. Whiskey is Everybody's good. Everybody's got a bottle. Uh, I like uh, it. Everybody's got a bottle. We're all going to get drunk. Ah, oh, this and, is awesome. And experience. So you so start practicing. So do uh, Coco and Mego have to have a battle to the death like you did with Wiggy in this? Or I, I feel like, will that be okay? I feel like side bets will be part of this. I feel like uh, we will be able to promote some sort of like battle to the death. Like whoever loses between those two. Because I've always wanted to get put those two guys uh, in into some sort of competition. So Mego, you know, D one athlete. Uh, hey, you know what? So was Courtney, D one athlete. She was a cheerleader Whoa. at a D one school. I mean, All she right. was a D one athlete. I'm not going to say anything. What do you say? I don't want Coco mad at me. And now Greg, on the other hand, I don't know. He's not the really push sure. up. He's the push up king. I mean, apparently. he can do push ups. Can he shoot? Yeah. I know how good of a shooter I am. I'm not worried about myself. Uh, and I noticed and Rich. That, nope. and Rich, on the other hand, I'm a ner- little nervous about him as well. Nah, Rich. Rich will probably do way better than expected. And luckily for me, I got a half court basketball court, so you can start so practicing. I can, and, and, and we we had whenever we had to put in, we did mark off the official lane, mark off an official three point line as well, so I can shoot from distance. Mark. Okay, so my philosophy is going to be I'm going to shoot nothing but three pointers, which is a thousand bucks a shot. You you hit a three pointer, it's a thousand bucks. You will have the little ball rack where it have balls everywhere. Oh, balls everywhere! Balls everywhere! Shoot balls multiple everywhere. times oh, as much as you want. On Twitch, oh, so you know, I don't know why they do oh, that. I did right win, to, and his glasses broke. Oh my god! Well, good on you. Yeah, I can't wait to be a part of it. March seventh will be at the Hourback Center. It also means who knows who's going to come by. They do, here's the thing: the Celtics have practice that day, and their practice starts at twelve. We will be there from from 10 till 12. You never know who's going to walk over. They may just have, listen, we may be short. Again, $25,000, one minute for each shooter. We may need some help. Maybe email will be around. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Probably one guy wouldn't ask for a crash. Uh, no, I would, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm with you on no, that. Mark your calendars. Shots for a cure. It is March 7th at the Hourback Center. And uh, good job by Justin and everybody getting that thrown together. Our goal is to win, for Christ's sakes. And you keep talking about the CBT. You keep talking about prospects and your long-term goal. Like, you just basically told us we ain't good enough. We suck. You let us down. Angry Lou. Angry Lou. A hole the size of I don't even know what in that bullpen. Keep playing like dog Recall by manager Lou. Go get me a goddamn first baseman. That's what I want. I don't want an outfielder D8. I need a first baseman. Okay, Lou, I'll ask you something. What? How do you go into the season without a closer? How do you not address the closer situation? Lou, what's up, Bill? Good, how are you doing? Good. Well, it's always great to have you here, Lou. Ah, yes. (laughs) Fridays at noon. (laughs) How's that work, Lou? Does that work for you? (laughs) Bring back some memories? That is fantastic. What do you say, Gresh? What do you say, Fogget? Hi, Lou. Sox insider Lou Maloney on Gresham Fourier, brought to you by Shaw's and Star Market, perfecting the art of fresh. He's with us on the Harbor One hotline. Uh, Louis, good uh, good afternoon. And Foyer and I were going through uh, some of the new rules this year in big league baseball. I know there's the pitch clock, and, hey, that might affect guys like Kenley Jansen. 
I mean, uh, Fourier and I are not big fans of taking the shift out of the game. Of all the new rules this year, Lou, what do you think is the one that's going to be the most impactful to the game that players might either love or hate? It's going to be the pitch clock. You know, that that's going to cut some time off. You know, it's not – the length of the game will be shorter. But it's about, like, how many – you know, the, the pace of play. Like, how often will a ball be put in play? Like, how often will the guy pitch, throw the baseball? I mean, that sort of stuff. When you watch a game for five minutes and you watch one at-bat, you don't want to sit there and say, okay, it's three and one, and it's been five minutes. Like, let's go. Get this thing. Throw the baseball, and I think you're going to see a different game. I think that's going to be a huge impact on watching baseball. So is that why uh, a guy like Hanley Jansen um, yeah. isn't uh, playing other than WBC? You think yeah, that's one luckily, of his reasons? I mean, these guys are throwing bullpens right now with clocks. He was the slowest pitcher in all of baseball. And I think these guys will throw their bullpens, and it's not a big deal, right? There's no stress in a bullpen. There's really no stress in a spring training game. So they'll, they'll adjust slightly, but it'll still be opening day. It'll still be that first month when they, when they really start adjusting because that's when things count. That's when every pitch counts. It doesn't necessarily count in a bullpen, but they're trying to adjust the best they can now. Hey, Lou, one of the things that Christian and I talked about, and we have no point of reference in, in getting into this, and that is how the pitch clock affects a hitter. So like a pass rusher, if you know that the play clock is winding down, you can kind of guess when to be able to get off the ball and maybe there's an advantage. As the pitch clock winds down, is there any advantage to the hitter at all? No, not really, because it's more of a base runner type thing. Because as a hitter... It's not like just because you see a count down to one, you're going to start your stride. You know, you're still waiting for the pitcher to kind of get in his delivery and, and your timing mechanism, whatever that might be. That doesn't start until the pitcher starts. So if it's down to one, you're just sort of sitting there. You, you don't even pay attention to it. As a hitter, I don't think you're looking at the pitch, hit, uh, pitch clock at all. You're still all eyes on the pitcher. Now, the base runner, the base runner starts seeing it. He's thrown over a couple of times, and you're down to two. You're down to one. You know, is there that extra step because you know he has to deliver the baseball, which is why I think in the minor leagues, you started to see, from what I understand, pitchers throwing the ball with about four or five seconds left on the clock, really getting rid of it so that base runner couldn't time him. I'm I'm actually really looking forward to this, just the whole, you know, the whole game now as far as how, all the rules and how yeah. they affect all these guys and, like, which pitcher is going to lose his mind first? Mm-hmm. Like, who's going to just lose it because they don't like the clock? Uh, but as far as the Red Sox go, okay, oh, you know, spring training starting, everybody's getting down there now, everybody's happy, and, you know, the sky's the limit. So yeah. your biggest concern, uh, you know, in this first week of spring training? Well, the first week, obviously, is just injuries, and we're already seeing it. Like, Bayo, I don't know if you saw that report. He's kind of shut down till Monday. He had a little soreness throwing breaking balls in a bullpen. I don't know if Pavetta walked off the field, too. So it's like, I got to – you get these guys out there and ramp up the intensity, and you want to make sure your pitchers get through it. But as far as concerns go – there's a universal truth in baseball that'll always be true. You want to be strong up the middle. And this is kind of a big concern for me, the depth that they have in the middle of the infield. You know, you have two starting catchers or two catchers that have never been a starting catcher in, your, in their careers. If one of those guys down, you have a guy like Alfaro that maybe you could call up as your third catcher, but you lose a lot defensively with that guy. You get two guys in the middle of the infield that I think can play the position. Can they be healthy? You know, and, and their backup is Mondesi, who's already hurt. And then they signed Yu Chang, who, you know, could catch the ball, but, you know, he's hitting ninth. You lose a lot offensively. You got Duvall in center. You know, this is a guy that in, in Atlanta played center field last year, the first two months, and Snicker down in Atlanta had to take him out of center because he was struggling offensively. And when he did and put him in left, he started raking again. So can he play center? And if, you know, where's the depth there? Is it Ref Schneider? Is it Duran? You know, where, where's the depth in the middle of the infield, positional player-wise? Because there's not really a lot down in AAA ready to go as well. That's that's one of my big concerns. Is there a free agent out there, Lou, that's just kind of been hanging around that yeah. Heim Bloom might be able to tap in for some middle infield depth? Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know why Iglesias isn't on this team right now. Or Andrus. You know, they had a spot with Story going on that 60-day DL, and they brought in Yu Chang. and. Again, he's a, he's a utility guy who can catch the baseball, but I don't know what the ask was for Iglesias or Andrus. You know, to me, that's like the perfect fit. You have a guy that can play short. Kike goes to second. Arroyo, you know, is your utility guy. He can play second. Kike is asked to play second in center field. Get Duvall off his feet in center field. Maybe he DHs. Maybe he goes to a corner. So it's just added more depth of guys that can play at this big league level, like an Andrus or an Iglesias, that kind of helped the versatility with this team. But... It seems as though 
like with that one extra spot they had in this roster, that Yu Chang was the choice. And he can catch it. There's no question he can catch the ball. But I just, I don't know, those other guys seem like a better fit. Sorry, so we're talking to, uh, of course, Lou Merloni. Now, Lou, every Friday now with us, right? Yeah. From here to the end of the it. season, okay? So the one thing that I that I recognized was uh, we, we Gresham and I even talked about is how uh, how slim and fit uh, Alex Verdugo looked the mm-hmm. other day mm-hmm. when he showed up, and I was like looking at this quote that he gave uh, Chris Cotillo, and it seems like Alex Cora maybe had some words for him. Like, do you know anything about that? Like, what's what's that about? Was he like told to get in shape, or or else? Well, he was definitely told I think to get in better shape because you know at the end of the season. You know, reporters asking Cora, and and it's usually it's one of those things. You know, when a reporter asks a question, they realize the probably guy's not probably not going to answer it. But instead, when they ask like, who's the one guy that can improve a lot this offseason, he named Alex Verdugo, which I thought was very interesting, almost like calling him out. You know, saying that he wants him to play faster, he wants him to be more athletic. You know, and that would just help him be better defensively, be more athletic on the base pass, be you know, work faster, be an athlete. And they kind of ran into this with Benintendi. It was like, dude, you're bulking up for what? Like, you, both of these guys should be athletic outfielders who can run, drive the baseball, play good defense. And judging from the um, from the looks of things, it looks like Verdugo cut back a little bit of weight and hopefully plays a little bit quicker because he's a guy that I think this team needs to be consistent and take it to another level. Also, that uh, heading towards that third year of arbitration helps you get in shape too, right? Yeah, and 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 you no, know, the last couple of years, last year he had a good year. You know, he, he's a good player. It's just, is there another level? Like, is, it, is there an all-star caliber, Alex Verdugo, in there somewhere? Because I think they need to find that. So, Lou, I'm, I'm fascinated with maybe where the game might go. As you know, I spent the first 15 years of my life in Western Pennsylvania, so I grew up around National League Baseball. And those Pirates of the 90s, while they had guys that could hit the ball out of the ballpark, they ran the base as well, but... I used to I like I grew up on base stealing and things like that as you probably did. And then I heard in the, you know, 2010s, ah, running the bases, base stealing doesn't really matter anymore. Now with the pitch clock, we're talking about base runners and the bags are a little bit bigger. How are are we trying to balance the game out a little bit? Are we going back to where there is more value to the guy that maybe doesn't or not more value, but there's value again to the guy that doesn't drive it out of the ballpark? but can steal you maybe 50 bags in a new game. Where are we going with these changes in terms of stylistically in baseball? Well, I, I do think the big bases make it interesting. I think it's a safety issue at first. I think the biggest impact you'll see is close plays at first base. How many bang-bang outs do you see at first? Well, you're going to give me a few more inches on that bag. I think people are going to be safe a lot more. This, these, as far as stealing bases, I wonder if we've overblown that a little bit. Like, if you're fast, you're going to steal bags. You know, so, this, oh, we got to add a speedster on our team and have him on the bench. And it's like, dude, last I checked, you can't steal first. You know, I, I want a speedster on my bench in September and October, but not, not, if he can't hit, uh, what the hell do I want him on my bench for 162? So those guys, I think, have a role. But I, what I think is the game is coming back, you know, to, you know, contact actually matters. I hated three or four years ago, and this has been a trend, you hit 215 and pop 25, you know, and strike out 160 times. You're a valuable asset. And mm. it's like, dude, get rid of that. Like, give me contact. Get on base. And that's one thing the shift has gotten helped, I think, get back to. You saw the Red Sox bring up a lot of guys, you know, sign guys that make contact. Put the ball in play. There's going to be more holes. Get on base. Don't strike out as much. You know, and I think that's important, still important in the game. I'm glad that's come back to it. And the pitching side of it as well. Throw strikes. Nothing bothered me more than this philosophy of, hey, I can strike three guys out before I walk four. So I'm going to get out of the inning. I don't care. I don't want contact. And it's like, you know, 3-1, Vasquez standing up, calling for a pitch out of the zone on 3-1 and watching guys actually swing at it. And it's like, what the hell are we doing here? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, dude, throw strikes, get on base, make contact. Like, it's old school. Some things are universal. They'll never change. And there's always like a period of time when we think we can reinvent the wheel. So, so the last one for me is this, uh, I guess, the, the sale debate, the sale just like issue with uh, same old words, same old tough guy routine, you know, uh, you know, taking ownership. You know, I know we've discussed it plenty of times. Like how much of a leash do you give him before it's just it wears you out? He's, he's got a pitch, and, you know, you saw that too. Everybody loved the attitude that he had. Then he hasn't pitched in two years, and you get the mic behind him, and it's the same stuff, and you're like, okay. 
whatever. Like, I need you to pitch. So for me, I expect him to be really good. Like, I expect him, because all I care about is his elbow and his shoulder. And those things are healthy. So when he's on the mound, I expect him to be really good. Can I predict another stupid fluke injury? I, I have I have no idea. But I know the elbow sound. So if he goes out and throws the ball, then you're going to love him like you always have. But if all of a sudden there's another injury and we start hearing about, you know, chopping wood and, and rehabbing and getting back, and it's like that, that's when it's like fans are just like, God, I just, I just need you on the mound. So – I expect him to be really good when he's out there, and hopefully there's no fluke injury around the corner. What are some of the things that you personally would like to see this Red Sox team do well early on in spring training that might lead one to think, hey, maybe this year will not be as bad as predicted? For their bullpen to perform like a lot of people think it can. You know, last year's team won, what, 78 games, 86 got in the playoffs, you can't tell me you couldn't find another nine games that this bullpen absolutely just torched. You know, they, it's probably up in the dozen range where games they just gave away because their bullpen was awful. So in April, when your starting pitcher does his job and your lineup gives you a lead after six, lock it down. You know, you can't give up three or four games in a month of April. That's the difference between, you know, being 10 and five, you know, and six and nine. Right, like that—that's that's a huge difference early on. So if Jansen can go out and give you some, you know, saves and and guys like Martin and Schreiber and and these guys can kind of lock it down a little bit, and and Hauk, that's that's what you need early on in the year, and that builds confidence throughout the entire roster. Lou, I hate to end on a a bit of a sad note, but uh, Tim McCarver, eighty-one years old, passed away. Played in the Bigs, Hall of Fame broadcaster. There are those who are saying that Tim McCarver changed the way guys like you and others call the game of baseball on television. Your thoughts on that, maybe even more the broadcasting legacy of Tim McCarver. Well, that's kind of how I think of him. You know, like the legacy of him calling games. I think, you know, every, every generation has guys that they grew up kind of listening to and the conversations and, and the way they call games and the way you listen to games. And that's the way... I kind of think of Tim McCarver, you know, um, people can go back to different generations and different people. When they think about listening to baseball as a kid, whether it's radio or TV, there's always one guy that kind of stands out. And for me, it's really Tim McCarver. So, um, you know, watching a lot of games, introducing you to the game, telling stories, teaching you the game of baseball. That's how I think he's remembered. Great. He's one of the best. Uh, great stuff. You're the best, Lou. God, this is going to be so fun talking baseball each and every Friday here on uh, Gresham Fourier. We thank you, friend, and uh, have a great weekend. And uh, so uh, where where will Waldo be next week? Will you? When do you go to Florida? I will be in Florida Tuesday night. Oh. It's my oh. heaven. It's my Ooh. happy place, as Fourier <laughs> knows. I'll be there for a couple days, and then I'll call um, the game Friday night. and like The first four games, actually, I think, on Nesson. Oh, there so, we go. Yeah. All right. Good stuff, brother. Well, we'll talk to you next week from down there in uh, Florida in God's waiting room. Thank you, you friend. Got it, boys. Have a great one. There Later. we go. There goes our buddy Lou Maloney. Great stuff. Good. Excellent stuff. Great breakdown. God, he's so good. So good.